Welcome to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. This week, I'm joined by Adam Whitlam from BMO's fixed income sales team. This episode is titled Carnage. I'm Ben Reitzes, and you're listening to Views from the North. Each episode, I will be joined by members of BMO's FIC sales and trading team to bring you perspectives on the Canadian rates market and the macro economy. We strive to keep the show as interactive as possible by responding directly to questions submitted by our listeners and clients. We value your feedback, so please don't hesitate to reach out with any topics you'd like to hear about. I can be found on Bloomberg or via email at benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. That's benjamin.reitzes at bmo.com. Your input is valued and greatly appreciated. Adam, welcome back. Uh, I'm back from two weeks of traveling, so this is, episode is delayed one or, or two weeks. I can't even remember on timing, but uh, thanks thanks for coming on the show this week. Thanks for getting me off the desk and away from the bloodbath for a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to change things up a little bit this week, and instead of me pummeling you with questions, I'm going to let you decide which way we go. You're a bright guy. We're going to use that intellect, and we're going to see where you take us. Ooh, you may have set the bar a little high here. Um well, I, you know, first off, I think there's a lot to talk about because there's a lot going on in the market. But first, you know, I know you've been out of town doing a lot of marketing. You were in New York, you were in Hong Kong, you were in Tokyo. So I'd love to find out uh, and glean some insight from what you heard from a lot of our international investors and kind of the view of Canada, North American rates, credit. You know, what is the rest of the world thinking about the Canadian market here? Excellent question. Full disclosure, I didn't go to Hong Kong because New York got me sick, so I had to miss that part of the trip. But that's okay. Uh, I don't. I don't blame New York at all. I don't hold grudges against cities. New York. So the different strokes for different folks, I guess. And in, in New York, the focus was mostly short end of the curve, the front end, and and lots of discussion about bank versus Fed, and and just the, the macro backdrop in Canada versus the macro backdrop in the U.S. And how Canada is relatively weaker, and and like there, <laughs> it's funny. There's no question. You you look at any piece of data, and you'll see that Canada is in worse shape than the U.S. at the moment. And the only thing that's keeping Canada from really shifting gears from from a rate perspective and from a Bank of Canada perspective is is inflation. And the inflation number came out the week after I was in New York, so when I was in when I was in Tokyo. But it was kind of looking ahead to that number. It was going to be a big number on the headline, but it was also a big number on the core. And 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 again, that just kind of reinforces the. Uh, the market's fear of the Bank of Canada, and and that fear is is ever present after many years of surprises. And so, the, as much as Canada looks cheap on kind of like a one year basis, you just look. At, I mean, look at the next few meeting gaps. There's just under thirty beeps priced for for the Bank of Canada by call it April, but really there's there's a full hike price by January. And for the Fed, at least until a few hours ago, I think it's a little bit higher now. But there was only. 14 or, or 15, maybe now there's 17 or 18 basis points priced in, in, in rate hikes from the Fed. And and it that just doesn't make any sense. Like if you consider, one, Canada is a more interest rate sensitive economy, uh, and the economy is already under a lot of pressure. We, we shrunk in the second quarter. The U.S. grew. Uh, we'll get the third reading out on, on Q2 GDP on, on Thursday, tomorrow. And that'll be somewhere close to 2.5% is consensus, 2.4, I think. Uh, so massive gap in in growth there, and, and Canada doesn't look a whole lot better in the third quarter. We'll we'll see. We get GDP on Friday for for July, but things just don't look good in Canada, and they look all right in the U.S. Yet there's more priced into Canada. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but such is life. On Tokyo, 
different investors there, much more focused further out the curve, much more focused on the provincial space and CMBs. Um, we, we can talk more about CMBs later because that's always fun. They are, they're very, there's a lot of interest in Canada, a lot. We had uh, 11 meetings in, in two and a half days and strong interest in the long end of Canada and, and yield levels. I think same same for U.S., given where yield levels are now. But the issue with, with Japanese investors is the, the, the hedge back to yen is problematic, to say the least. Uh, it is extraordinarily expensive for them to hedge any any Canadian or U.S. purchases, for that matter, given the, the overnight rate differentials. And that, in turn, has kept them on the sidelines for now. So if you look at even the highest yielding Canadian provincial bond, which would be kind of like, a let's say, an Ontario, highest yielding Ontario bond in the 20-year space uh, is about 4.95%. Maybe it's probably 5% after today, but the hedging cost is about 5, 5.3%. So you're still offside. You're still running a negative carry of 20, 25, 30 basis points. If we keep selling off, maybe you'll see them come in. But there was a lot of discussion about when the Bank of Canada will cut, and that in turn would, would lower their hedging costs. So a lot of focus on the bank there as well, and when that cut will come. And, and the truth is, is what I told them. I mean, not till 2024. And we just, BMO just pushed out the, our, our call for, for the first cut into the kind of toward the middle, just after the middle of the year. Uh, I would I would put a range there like second quarter to third quarter. So April to September, it's pretty wide, but we live in a world with wide tails and uh, I'm not going to beat that. And, and the reality is, is there's too much uncertainty on inflation and growth and all that. Maybe growth trumps and, and we do it earlier, or maybe inflation stays sticky for longer and they cut later. I don't know, but we'll see. But those, those were the those were the main highlights, I think. And if I had to take away one thing, it's, it's, I think you'll see pretty good demand for provincial and, and Canada paper come out of, out of Japan. When the hedged carry turns positive, I think you'll see very good demand. So I'm, that it makes me pretty encouraged on provincial spreads. And, and this is at a time when I really think you're going to see issuance increase over the coming year. I don't know when that inflection point comes, when, when uh, more money is going to be needed. But uh, slowing nominal growth means slowing revenue growth. Uh, and, and you're going to see unions and others ask for more wage growth. And, and so revenues slowing, expenses accelerating, more debt. Yeah, we saw some sampling of that from the you know, Q1 public accounts that we saw out of Ontario. You know, a deficit obviously was up. Uh, and I think, you know, there is obviously some some spending uh, controls being discussed uh, currently for the province, for the city of Toronto in particular. And like you said, right, if growth is going to be slower, it's hard to imagine a world where revenues are going to be increasing. So, but vis-a-vis, -vis, that probably also puts downward pressure on inflation. If yes. government revenues are dropping, that should be downward pressure on inflation as well. So, you know, maybe that says your April to October timeline for a potential cut in the Bank of Canada, maybe that starts to get pulled forward if government revenues take a big enough you know, decrease. That's, that's going to be tough. Before April, just mathematically looking at inflation, I don't think the bank's going to be flexible unless things are really falling or apart. Or maybe the earlier part of the bank. So, so maybe, that, it's, yeah, maybe it's more April than it is, say, October for, for the first potential cut. But again, a lot of that's going to ride on what, what happens in the U.S. and, and yes. what happens with their monetary so policy. That was also one of the points is, is can the bank cut that far ahead of the Fed? And I mean, to some extent they can, but you're going to need to have some meaningful rate cuts priced into the U.S. at the same time. 
And you can't have Canada forward rates really rally outsized compared to the U.S. Otherwise, the dollar gets annihilated yeah. and you get that inflation impulse and then we have a problem. Yeah. Did they, uh, so interestingly, you know, on the provincial side, some of that inherent demand, is that a spread call? Is that a risk call? Is that an all-in yield call? Like, what is it that, you know, the sense that you got on, on why spread product would be in stronger demand from overseas investors, say, in the next six to nine months? All-in yield. That's simple. They're looking for, for carry and pickup, and uh, Canada's just don't provide an attractive yield on a relative basis. Provinces are good credit. It's tough to believe there, there's going to be any issues from that perspective. The focus tends to be on the more liquid provinces, so Ontario, Quebec, to a lesser extent, BC, Alberta, Manitoba as well. Discussions on all of those provinces, some deeper than others, but uh, most most everyone that's active in, in provincials over there looks at most, if not all, of those names. Did the U.S. come up at all? I mean, I know we, we, like we've seen in some of the flow of funds data uh, in the U.S. that there actually has been some pretty significant foreign interest in treasuries over the last you know, call it the last month, month and a half, that there has been a decent amount of buying. Did that come up at all that, you know, they might rotate out of, say, treasury holdings into Canada? Did they discuss at all sort of their, you know, uh, increasing demand as yields sell off in treasuries as well for dollar paper? Your opinion of me is far too high. I'm, 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 I'm the Canada guy. Uh, we focus on Canada. And as much as I'd love to talk about treasuries in the U.S., they're just, those meetings don't last long enough. And the fact of the matter is like the hedge back to dollars also is very punitive as well. Canada is not, uh, not alone in that at all. In fact, it's worse to dollars. Uh, so you need an even larger pickup uh, to, to, to make treasuries or, or uh, dollar products worthwhile. I've, I'm, I'm told there's still appetite to buy mortgages and that kind of stuff that the higher yielding type of products. That's not my wheelhouse. I don't, I don't play in that sandbox. Yeah, fair enough. We will stay in our lanes. Okay, well, so you bring up another interesting discussion point. You know, you mentioned CMB is obviously very topical this week with the announcement that they're going to be increasing the cap on the CMB program from $40 billion to $60 billion. Uh, a little bit of a surprise announcement that came out yesterday that kind of put the market into a bit of a tizzy. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Surprise and not surprised all at the same time. Uh, the fact that it was a bit of a surprise, it shouldn't be all that surprising given uh, the, the, the way that these... Uh folks have functioned in the past here with the ultra longs and, and with ribbies both just kind of disappearing surprisingly when the announcement for that they were going to increase the program came out in that at the bottom it says it's independent of their decision on what to do with the program as a whole i i mean maybe in theory it is but in practice i still believe it, well I, that's it i, <laughs> I don't believe it. i don't believe it what so we, we need more details for starters and, and it does feel like this announcement maybe was a little bit rushed to, to kind of change the, the narrative on the headlines a tad from what's going on domestically, politically. But until we get more details, I mean, it, my, my first thought is, OK, well, they're going to increase the program from 40 to 60. The government was considering issuing Canada's to buy the whole program. That was one of the options they're thinking of. And now you've increased the size of the program to 60 billion for 40 billion. Do they really want to issue an additional 60 billion Canada's? It just makes it even less likely to me that they're going to can the whole program and, and take it all in-house. What what seems more likely, and I can say that I was this is this is the story I was I was spinning in, in New York, was that they would increase the program to support housing, which is exactly what they've done, and buy the additional whatever ten to twenty billion. It ends up being twenty billion, and and keep the forty billion as a public float annually. So, I mean, we'll see what the details are. That seems like the most likely outcome to me. It's the one that kind of makes the most sense and everybody saves face and wins all at the same time. So, 
we'll see where we go. But that that's my thinking. Now we have to wait till November, probably, in the uh, fall economic statement to get more details. Hopefully, they come then, and uh, the can does not get kicked further down the road because the market does not like uncertainty, and they don't like more supply without knowing who's going to take it down. Yeah, I I mean I completely agree with you. I think that uh, I think the likelihood of the hybrid model like that is has increased significantly with sort of the way that they've rolled this out. I mean, if you're going to cancel the program and if that's your intention to increase the issuance cap before you take the whole program out, is basically just saying we're going to cost everybody who owns CMBs a bunch of money before we completely wipe out their liquidity. I mean, it it would be absolutely absurd. Now we've seen absurd things happen through government initiatives before, but I have to think in this case, they undertook a consultation period. I think the response, and I can tell you this based on investors that I've talked to, the response on that consultation was that you're not going to be able to capture the level of savings that you think you're going to. You know, just because government of Canada's are here and CMBs have a spread to the back of it, you know, it's it's not as simple as we'll just issue Canada's to buy CMBs and that spread will remain constant and that's, you know, we'll be able to capture that difference and save the fees that we pay to investment banks. So I think the consultation response that they got was, you know, 98% against them winding down the program. So a hybrid model is probably a great way to save face. We've come up with an idea. Here's a way that the program continues to exist. But we also go out and say, hey, look, we are doing something for affordable housing. So, you know, quote unquote, everybody wins. And they capture some spread. Yeah. And they capture some spread. And in that, in this case, an additional 20 billion worth of Canada's. Yes. Will it have, will it have some impact on the cost of financing across the government curve? Probably yeah. not. I don't, I don't know maybe, if it does. Maybe, but how do you even measure that? When yeah. yields are moving 10 basis points a day on nothing, it's almost impossible to even know what that impact is. So I'd say, if anything, uh, you know, increases the likelihood of the hybrid model should be a net positive for spreads. Interesting to kind of note, you know, sitting here, whatever it is, Wednesday afternoon, you know, CMB 10-year spreads have definitely taken the brunt of the hit. The bid offer in 10 years at this point is probably two and a half, three basis points wide. Uh, the bid offer in fives is maybe a half. So you can really see the pressure in the tenure sector. A lot of that's because, you know, we know affordable housing is usually longer term mortgage pools. However, they were pretty clear about it being anything from fives to tens. So if I'm then, I'm probably saying we're going to keep a very similar structure for the CMB program and we're just going to take down proportional amounts between fives and tens. So you know, makes the argument that maybe tens shouldn't be unfairly punished. Uh, and so that the steepening in that five ten CMB curve might be an opportunity. You know, this could also be a net positive for credit spreads in general, provincial spreads too, because, you know, even 20 billion worth of additional issuance in Canada, theoretically, you know, maybe that does cost them a beep or two beeps in Canada yields relative to credit yields. So, you know, in effect, that would also compress credit spreads. So I do think there's a bit of an opportunity in CMBs here. I understand why, you know, a lot of the international community was sort of saying we'd like to you know, be on hold with regards to CMB purchases until we get further clarity. Obviously, you know, we saw this with the Canada 50-year auction when it suddenly disappeared and the RRB program, which also was, you know, I think a, an, an asterisk line in the budget. And so, you know, I, I can understand why they would want to get something more definitive, but I do think there's an opportunity. When they get that, 
more definitive answer, assuming it's that the program stays, I think you see buyers come back. Yeah. And so that's, I think that's maybe the bigger opportunity than, than Canada's themselves cheapening. You're going to get spreads will tighten based off that. A lot of buyers that are sidelined at the moment will come back to the market that have been fully absent for a year at that point. Probably it'll be next, it'll be November by the time we get any information, uh, or most of a year. And that will drive spreads right in probably immediately. Uh, and and I, I think anyways, liquidity matters. And the program sticking around means liquidity will be here to stay. And so that that aspect of pricing will help as well, even if it even if it means more supply. I think liquidity probably matters more on the margin, at least at least in my opinion. And at, at you know the rate at which yields are cheapening on a day by day basis, I mean these things are going to be a six and a half percent yield by the time we get that November announcement. <laughs> on that front, <laughs> why don't we talk about that? Oh, I forgot you're in charge today. Oh, yeah. Yes. Speaking of, uh, so obviously uh, we're seeing some unbelievable market volatility out there. The sell-off in yields has been dramatic to say the least. I mean, I would say at one point today, it almost felt like the U.S. Treasury market was completely bidless and an absolute free fall. You know, we've had a similar setup pattern now, you know, definitely this week, but uh, over the last couple of weeks where, you know, we might see some relief rally into the overnight session, but the minute North America walks in, things just continue to push wider and wider and wider, higher and higher and higher in yield. We've broken through all kinds of support lines. I think the question that most people that listen to this podcast would want to know is, when does it stop? When does the hurting stop? When does the carnage end? I, I don't have an answer. But I, I mean, the, the, the answer is probably when something breaks. So, the, the, I mean, there's, there's a couple of ways this can go. So either the economy slows, rate hikes have their impact. We see things slow down, one thing after the next. One domino falls, the next domino falls, the next domino falls. Eventually, you get to the end of it. The end of it is a weaker economy, and, and rates can finally come down as inflation slows. Unfortunately, that takes time. A long time, it seems, since the U.S. economy is still in pretty good shape. And even Canada, arguably, given where rates are, we're actually not in as bad a shape as anyone would have thought a few years ago, given yield levels. The other possibility is rates go up, rates go up, rates go up, rates go up. And then one day the market says, these are way too high. Maybe I shouldn't be valuing stocks at these levels. Maybe asset prices, maybe the discount rate I'm using isn't quite right. Let's look at this new discount rate, which is percentage points higher. And maybe with this percentage point higher rate, also earnings growth isn't quite as good as I thought it was. Mm-hmm. I don't want these assets at these prices, yours. And and we just get some kind of crazy sell-off in all assets. And and that scares me a bit more. I feel like given the way the market is behaving and the kind of indiscriminate selling in rates every day, and you can see it again, as Adam mentioned, like the morning, and it's even not even overnight, like this morning we came in, the market was bid and and did well for the morning and then just flipped and that's it. And it's been one way, one way ride higher in rates. And every day we're, we're like five to 10 basis points higher. At least it feels that way. And at some point there will be a reckoning. Somehow stocks are higher today. I, I actually don't even understand how that's possible, but they are, which is kind of my point in that at some point this this will cause some kind of reckoning somewhere on in some asset class yeah. uh, that, that is meaningful from a macro perspective and meaningful from a financial system perspective. And then we start to rethink whether the Fed swoops in and cuts immediately. I kind of, I really doubt that. I don't think this is that kind of cycle. Uh, and I think that that maybe that's where the debate should be, uh, with, whether they do that as they have in the past. But it'll what it'll do is it'll, it'll drive the curve flatter, I think, 
and you'll get some reversal from the the, the sell-off in, in tens and and to some extent longs as well. I think the Fed is going to be reluctant to step in and cut. I think uh, I think you know a great example of that would be the stock market last year had terrible performance. Stock market last year was down twenty five percent. I mean, I guess it would be maybe the end of twenty one, but down 25% and the Fed didn't really feel inclined to kind of make any moves to prop up risk markets, that that would kind of imply that if you got a protracted move down in stocks, that they wouldn't necessarily step in to support it. Now, does that change, you know, if you recall sort of the beginning of the pandemic or pre-pandemic, whatever you want to call it, the beginning of 2020, when, you know, we did hit a couple of you know, circuit breakers on stocks where we did have the sort of 15 minute reset and the seven and a half percent downdraft in stocks in a day on the S&P. And so, you know, are we maybe getting close to where that happens? I mean, currently it feels like we're getting that one percent bleed a day. You might get one percent here or three quarters of a percent here. And it becomes sort of day after day after day as rates push up. And we're seeing it again in regional bank spreads, regional bank spreads today. We're about 20 basis points wider. So you're starting to see regional bank spreads in the U.S. really start to widen out again. And so, you know, and this is reminiscent of what we saw last time when we had a huge rate sell off, which eventually caused a big blow up in risk assets. So, you know, the market setup here feels very similar. The sell off in rates has been disorderly. It's been very, very fast. And, you know, with the amount of leverage that we've built into our economy at this point after 20 years of low rates, we're definitely more sensitive. So we're not built for this type of sell, disorderly sell-off in such a short period of time. So yeah, I like I wouldn't want to be short fixed income here, but it does feel a little bit like getting in front of a in front of a train. And uh, in talking to a lot of the clients, there are a lot of longs out there and they are very frustrated because you know I will say Canada tens looked like great value at 375. And here we are today at it's about 410 right now as we're sitting here. Same with the US. I mean, you know, US tens at 422, 423 looked like a great level to buy on the charts. And then we blew to 450 and blew right through 450, no problem. So I think there are a lot of frustrated longs. Uh, most of the sellers have been CTA type sellers. OI is creeping higher. Open interest in futures is positively correlated with yields. So as you see open interest increase, that's indicative of fresh shorts, which are CTA momentum type sellers. And they're selling you know, generally to real money who has deeper pockets, but is getting very frustrated. So the question is, how will this tug of war resolve? Does it require some big move that rallies rates 15 beeps, 20 beeps, and all of the momentum players turn around and start buying? And then you see a protracted rally it's hard to know. And when do you buy it? I can, I, I don't mind getting long the market here, but that's not to say it won't be 25 basis points cheaper in two weeks time. I think you have to scale in. So, I mean, if you're already long, this is clearly more difficult, but if you're, if you're not long yet, as I was talking to somebody today, add a little bit of duration every, every 15 basis points, every 20 basis points, add a 10th, a quarter, depending on how short you are and slowly but surely get there. Cause you don't know when it's going to turn. And a year from now, I think you'll look pretty good buying at these levels because it's, Challenging for me to think that the economy is not starting to slow down broadly, both Canada and the U.S. The U.S. might be lagged from Canada and being better off generally, but uh, you got to think it's coming. And it's not like it's not like the U.S. is going to increase their deficit to, to 15 percent of GDP. At least I don't think they will, uh, as they've kind of increased it substantially this year by, by about a trillion or so. And most of that's not interest payments. There's, there's more to it than that. So the supports for the U.S., I think, will start to fade a little bit. There's an election next year, so... That makes it more challenging, definitely. 
but yeah, it, it it's it's a tough market, and and I, I do I do prefer being long at, at these levels, and and slowly, slowly getting into positions, and 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 just being a little bit patient. I don't think you have much of a choice, other than that. Uh, do you want to be short at multi-decade highs? Probably not. So frustration or not, uh, that that's probably the way to go at this point. Yeah. Uh, there were two things I was, I was as you were talking that I thought of. So one, both of us don't think the Fed steps in probably, or the bank for that matter. And what kind of reinforces that? Oil's up, I think, 4% today. At least it was last look, or 3.8%, something like that. Heading to the mid-90s, that's more inflation. That's not good. At this point, it feels like it's going to be more of a, a tax on consumers as much as anything else. Uh, so it is going to be a negative macro impact and a positive inflation impact. That's not good for anybody. But the inflation side of things, and, and probably especially in Canada, uh, is more likely to keep the central banks a little more conservative on when they cut rates and maybe waiting longer than, than perhaps they should. But we'll have to see on that. And the other thing... Doug Porter on my internal chatter, our chief economist, Doug Porter, put a chart up of 1987 and just looking at 10-year yield, U.S. 10-year yields and the S&P 500. And yields, I mean, rocketed through the course of the year and really, really sold off in August and September into October. And then eventually they hit 10%. Yes, 10, double digits. And when they did that, the stock market said, no mas. We're done. The carnage is over and the carnage began in, in stocks and, and rates rallied like stink. And and so like that type of scenario, I'm not saying rates are going to 10% because they're not, uh, but you can get to a level where it's just like, no, this is not okay. We can no longer stomach this. And then asset, risk assets just fall out of bed completely and totally. Uh, they don't, again, they don't need to fall 20%. It doesn't need to be black money. It doesn't need to be that extreme, but just an example of, of something to, to, to consider uh, maybe a historical example, if the current move in rates continues. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, and there were some other chart, great charts he was putting out with regards to S&P earnings relative to real yields. That's negative. S&P yields versus nominal yields. That's negative. So, you know, you have a lot of different identifying factors that suggest that risk assets are overpriced or yields are too, real yields are too cheap. I mean, you're getting developed market real yields at a 230 or 240. That, uh, you know, that's a, a real growth rate for developed economies that looks pretty favorable. So yeah, I tend to agree. Something something has to break. I, I might say that reals maybe are where they should be. I'm, I'm gonna take the other side of that and like go, go, go back to pre-financial crisis. The problem is the pre-financial crisis tips were kind of a garbage market still just starting out. So I don't know how much that, they, that history is worth, but really is don't need to be zero or, or half a percent or 1%, like, it, especially if you are concerned about uh, the fiscal outlook and all that kind of stuff. Like maybe there's a price to be paid for that and it gets paid in, in reals for, for now at least. Uh, you just got to build in that term premium if you're not going to inflate it away. Uh, you got you got to put it somewhere, and so maybe it's there for now. I I, I don't know, but I, that that's one area where I think they're cheap, but I don't know if they rich in a whole lot. I don't think. I meant to see some big productivity growth, productivity increases to uh, justify real yeah. yields, kind of in that context. Maybe maybe they should be kind of in the in the mid mid high ones rather than north of two percent. Because uh, I'm not sure inflation expectations will come down all that much either, which then makes me question my view on the market as a whole. But I can see the other side of it, I guess, at this point. And, and uh, that's why, I mean, rates could still sell off another whatever 50 basis points wouldn't be. If we hit 5% in 10s, would that be outlandish? Would you be completely shocked? 
be enough for me to put them into my PA. Well, exactly. <laughs> I don't think you're the only one. And then you go back to the, the where, where we started and go back to Japan and like they'll at those levels, I'm, I think they're close to buyers on, on the Canada side. Carrie would probably turn positive well before that. I think we're, we're not all that far at this point, at least in the 20 year sector, as I mentioned. And so you're, you're, you'll see buyers step in a little bit more uh, once we cross those those thresholds. I just don't think we're there quite yet. So we'll see. Um, that that's that's a lot for one day. Why don't we we both like being long the market, and so maybe that can be our trade for today. <laughs> yeah, don't be short. Be don't, long. Yeah, don't be short. Leg into long slowly but surely, and the reckoning will come for this market. It, it is just a matter of time. And the, the the rate carnage almost makes it so automatically. As a lower beta way, you can play it in curve structures, fives, tens, thirties, for instance. I still don't mind some of the uh, forward receives, uh, whether it's U.S. or Canada, either or. I think Canada still looks cheap relative to the U.S. in the forward market. Like if you're looking at kind of the one year forwards, you know, we talked a little bit about how you know I, I was looking at our gaps earlier this week, and you know, Bank of Canada gaps. You can trade like a you know November versus October of 2024, and your give is you know, five basis points versus in the U.S. it's a give of 50 basis points. So, you know, trades like that still identify that Canada is still relatively cheap. So if you're going to play those forwards, I prefer being long Canada. But, I, you know, I think duration will, if you're talking about sort of like your ability to earn, then being long duration, say tens, is probably where you want to be to make the most bang for your buck. All right. Let's call it a day then. Adam, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate you hosting me on my show. That was a pleasure to interview you. All right. And uh, you'll be back again soon. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Views from the North, a Canadian rates and macro podcast. I hope you'll join me again for another episode. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.